it's Legger with your dose of modern life. Healthier, easier, more fun. On today's show, I'm going to give you an amazing communication tip that really helps diffuse any tense situations. Then we're going to catch up with my friend, Christine, who made a big move to Texas, and she's going to share with us how she's doing. And she's also going to share her very wise HR perspective on work attire, how to be professional, how to speak to someone if you're concerned that your attire is not professional enough. Then I'm going to give you a fun, easy tip on how to explore the chemistry that is faking. All this and more after this brief musical interlude. See you after the tunes. We're back, and now for that communication tip that I promised you. A number of years ago, I attended a really interesting conference that was all about neuroscience and developing brains, and the neuroscientists explained that the amygdala, which is sometimes called the reptilian part of the brain, it sits at the base of where your spinal cord meets your your head, and it controls emotions, and it controls a lot of the basic parts of your nervous system, such as breathing and that sort of thing. And it is also where the emotions around fight, flight, or freeze are centered. And she was talking about how the amygdala and the thinking part of the brain, which is the front part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex, how these two parts of the brain have a dampening effect on each other so that they can't both be operating at the exact same time. And she said that is why you cannot have a highly emotionally charged discussion that is also logical. Because if you're highly emotionally charged, you're in the amygdala part of your brain. You're not in the prefrontal cortex part of your brain, the front of your brain, the thinking part of your brain. And she said that through practice, you can actually learn to quiet your amygdala, meaning the reptilian part of the brain, so that you don't go into fight, flight, or freeze mode, even when you're challenged with a difficult situation. And she further shared that people who are longtime practitioners of meditation have been shown to have measurably smaller amygdalas. Okay, so all very interesting stuff. You know, when you think about the fact that you are basically just a collection of habits that you have a way of reacting to things. And if the way that you've grown up reacting to things is in this fight or flight response, that you can get out of that habit if you can retrain your brain to have new ways of reacting to things. So I thought this was very interesting information, the fact that the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex cannot be on, essentially, on at the same time. So I started sort of, I guess, an experiment. And I said, so if someone is in their amygdala, and with children especially, you can really see it, that where they get to this point where they're just not in control of what they're feeling anymore. They can't calm themselves down. They've just, you know, they've gone way into the amygdala, way into the fight, flight, freeze response. And they're having difficulty coming back, even if they want to. And so I took this information and I came up with what I now call my list five technique. Okay. 
So this, this has really helped me so much. I hope it helps you and I would love to hear from you on how this works for you. So this is how it works. When someone is in that, just you can tell they're just highly emotional. They're not thinking logically. They're just feeling. They're just pure emotion. What I say to this person, and a lot of time it's children because I do have a lot of children in my life. I will say to them, honey, tell me about that book that you were reading the other day. I saw you reading a book. Can you name five characters for me? And I'm telling you, they might have a couple of like, (laughs) but they will stop and they will think and you can see in their eyes just an immediate shift. Huh, what are their names? Now, the reason why I ask for five things is because if it's one of their favorite books, they might be able to rattle off one, two, or even three characters just through rote memorization. But four and five will require them to think, which clicks into place the prefrontal cortex. So I find this to be incredibly effective to the point where (laughs) my child now does it back to me. (laughs) So when I am in a bad mood, when she can tell that I am, you know, just mad, my child will do this to me. And the reality is it completely works. So my husband and I, we will do it to each other. It has to be something where it requires thinking. So if my husband and I are doing it to each other, a lot of times it will be, can you name five state capitals? Can you name five presidents from the 1800s? It has to be something that requires you to think. If it's something that you can just rattle off without thinking, then it won't work. But I would love for you to experiment with this. Tell me how it works for you. It has been a really powerful technique. I've been doing it now for oh like five years and I share it with parents all the time and they all tell me that it really works for them so I'd love to hear what you think I call it my list five technique has no you know official name I haven't written it up in the scientific literature but there you go and if you have comments I would love to hear them you can email me at hello at allegraramos.com that's a-l-e-g-r-e-r-a-m-o-s.com and you can also download the free Anchor FM app and you can record a call-in that I can then play on the air. So I would love for you to do that. Coming up next, my conversation with Christine about what to wear in the office and then a fun baking technique that is all chemistry. After the tunes. Hi world, I am here with my friend Christine Keegan, who was introduced in episode four as one of my recurring guests. She's one of my oldest friends. We've known each other since junior high, but the reason why I asked Christine to be a recurring guest is because partially because of her background. She's worked for the last 20 years in HR capacities for big companies, including Disney. So that way, if you have questions about being an employee or an employer, you can write those in. But I also asked her because she recently undertook a big move that I feel like is kind of something that's been going on recently is people moving from higher cost of living places to lower cost of living places. I know at least a half dozen people who've done it in the last Mm -hmm. few years. And so she recently made that move where she moved from California to Texas, partially so that she could focus on being a stay-at-home mom and partially just have a different way of life. And this all happened very recently. So... That's right. That's right. It, hi, everybody. It's good to be back. Uh, I've, gosh, Allegra, I guess I've been in this house for about a month now. We're just outside of Dallas in Frisco. So you just moved into this house, right? Because you had moved to Texas five right. months ago or something. 
That's right, into um, a short-term rental. And so how's the move? Is it fun being in a new house? It's great being in a new house. We we love it. It was definitely a hard process. You know, uh, I love the saying that it's a good problem to have, <laughs> but it, it definitely was a good reminder for me that, you know, when I was in the workplace, I never accepted no as the final answer. And I'm not sure why I thought leaving the workplace, somehow things would be easier. You know, when you're negotiating Uh, Sometimes you have to say to yourself, hmm, is the answer here really no? So it it was a good lesson for me in terms of my experience with the builder. Because you were in a short-term rental a lot longer than you had planned. That's right. We thought we would be there for a couple of months and that the house would uh, be ready for uh, probably early December. And so it was about two months longer than we had anticipated. And, you know, living out of a suitcase with two young children is is definitely a test. But... Um, oh, God, that sounds horrible. I know. <laughs> I know. But you know what? I, I look back and I think about, you know, standing my ground with some of the things that the builder had agreed to when we purchased the home. And then the builder saying, I'm sorry, we can't do it after all. And I really thought about, uh, you know, who is it going to benefit to accept that answer? Just the builder. That's the only person it's going to benefit. And so what I did is I kind of took a step back. And rather than getting emotional about it, I thought, you know, here's my rationale. Here's kind of like the legal ground that I'm going to stand on. And I'm going to firmly uh, and respectfully push back. And we were able to get the things that the builder said we were going to get to begin with. So it it worked out. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I had something similar where, you know, I had purchased one of those experiences for my husband as a gift, a race car driving experience. And technically, the experience had expired from the people that I'd purchased it, purchased it from because my husband had been sick for a period of time, couldn't use it. But the race car driving place said, that's okay, we'll honor it. We understand he needs to be 100% well. But okay. when he went to make the reservation, they then told him that he had to buy insurance, which was not discussed with the original people that I had bought the experience from. And that even if he bought the insurance, we might be on the hook for $3,500 as a deductible. You know, (laughs) I know, right? It's a race car. Like you scratch the paint. Is that (laughs) $3,500? Right. So I went back to the company who tried to say to me, no, no, this expired. And then I said, I, I would never have purchased this to begin with if I knew about this deductible. That's right. That's right. So what ended up happening? Oh, they gave me my money back, darn it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. But they would have been happy for me to walk away, as I'm sure, you know, your contractor. I mean, we don't like to think that companies think like this, but. Well, you know, it reminds me of a boss I had, gosh, some 15, 20 years ago, who told me this story that if anyone walks into his office and asks for a raise, he automatically says no. And if they go away, he hasn't spent any more money. If they come back with more rationale as to why they should get the raise, and if he agrees, he'll he'll give them the raise. Now, it's not the way I would manage, but it was a good reminder that sometimes you're going to hear no because it's easier for the other person telling you no. And if you have firm ground and rationale to stand on, then push back, push back. Right, right. 
which is an excellent segue into the HR related question I have for you. All right. So as you know, I owned a store for a long time. And one of the challenging things about my employees was how to articulate to them what was the appropriate dress code. So Mm -hmm. can you answer this question of appropriate dress code, both from the employer's perspective, but also from, think of it as advice you would give to an employee that was going to the place. Look, I've definitely dealt with employees, uh, especially, you know, younger generation employees who say I should be able to wear what I want and, and express my own style. And the truth is we often change how we dress for the occasion or the venue. You know, you may have a favorite pair of jeans you want to live in and that you do live in, but you're seldom going to see jeans at the gym, for example. It's just not an entirely comfortable way to work out. <laughs> right. Or maybe you're you know, not a fancy dresser in general, but you might dress up for a wedding because it's not only respectful, but it can be fun to to dress up. And the workplace shouldn't be any different. Dress for the occasion. Personally, I always took cues from the female executives who were senior to me. In fact, I'd look to the most senior woman at the company since there's a lot of truth in dressing for the job that you want, right? Or the job that your boss has because she didn't get there by accident. Her attire is part of her brand. Nice. Very good. But how, as an employer, would you approach a conversation with an employee that maybe isn't following the dress code the way you would like? So it's really important as a manager to always be very specific, direct, and honest with your employees. And it's equally important to make sure that you have a policy that's been agreed to that you can fall back on. And that policy can absolutely be defined, for example, as not wearing anything that you would wear to the beach or the gym or the Mm -hmm. nightclub. And it can absolutely include language that ensures undergarments can't be visible or nipples can't be visible. So in terms of what you can say to your employee, have a conversation in private, ideally at the end of the day, so your employee is not mm. sitting there uncomfortably all day. And if you have somebody who's solid, you can say that. You know, hey, Sarah, you're a solid employee, but you're often wearing tops that are exposing your bra. And I'm not sure if you're aware of that. And then pause. You know, let, let the employee respond. Often employees are going to say, oh, wow, I I didn't realize that. You know, I'm going to ensure it doesn't happen again. And if you have an employee who says, what's the problem, then go back to the policy, go back to the brand that the company is trying to put out there. And again, if that includes not exposing undergarments, then that's what you're going to fall back on. I love that pause because introducing your concern as a question is a way of pointing it out without being accusatory, right? It won't. Absolutely. It won't put the other person on the defensive. Exactly. And what I find is that most people want to self-correct. So give them that opportunity to self-correct. And, you know, one piece, another piece of advice I would love to share to the listeners is also be picky about what you're bringing up and make sure that you're not clouding personal opinions with company policy. And an example of that is expecting women to wear lipstick or stockings or for their hair to be worn (laughs) in a certain way. Um, Those actually land you in legal trouble. So make sure that if you have an HR rep, 
that you go by, that you, you know, you go to them and you run the dialogue by them to ensure that they're going to back you up if the employee complains. Ugh, such good advice, Christine. See, this is why I have you here. So, <laughs> thanks, thanks. So if you have questions, HR-related questions for Christine that you'd like her to answer, please email them to hello at Allegra Ramos, A-L-E-G-R-E-R-A-M-O-S.com. Or you can download the free Anchor FM app and you can do a call-in question, which means that you record a message and I can play it on the air, which is really fun. Thanks, Christine. I can't wait to hear what people have you answer next. You're welcome. I'm loving being on the show. So thank you. Coming up next, a fun way to experiment with chemistry while baking. After the tunes. We're back. Now, students in my cooking classes are always really surprised at just how scientific cooking can be, especially baking which has a lot of chemistry because there are a lot of chemical reactions that happen when you're baking, especially one of the most obvious ones, for instance, is when you're wanting to make things light and fluffy, you have to add baking powder or baking soda. And hey, if you want the chemical reaction to be extra vigorous, add an acid in like apple cider vinegar. But that's not what we're talking about exactly today. What we're talking about today are cookies because cookies are a great way to just sort of tiptoe and get your feet wet into the world of baking. Now, maybe you heard on an earlier podcast where I said that one of my tips for eating healthier is to only eat treats that you make yourself. Now, in my world, when I talk to my daughter about food, I explain to her that there's growing food and there's treats, and you need to eat more growing food if you want to stay healthy and you want to grow. And treats are something that you have once in a while, not every day, and not at every meal. Now, in our household, we only eat treats, almost only. I mean, occasionally we'll eat a treat that is not homemade, but we almost exclusively eat treats that are only homemade. Now, why do we do this? Well, for one thing, I want to control the ingredients in our food. So that ensures that we're not getting artificial colors or flavors and we're not getting preservatives, which are things that you want to avoid. The other thing, too, is that at this point, my palate is just super picky. So if the food that I'm going to purchase is not better than what I can make, why would I purchase it? The other thing too is that the added trouble of having to bake my own treats means that we're not eating them all the time because, you know, it takes time to make it and clean up after it and everything. So I really find that this helps to keep our treat consumption into a place that is manageable for our health. Now, let's say you want to make Let's do oatmeal cookies. Now, the reason why oatmeal cookies is that there's some variables in there that you can play with that will allow you to see how baking is essentially a form of chemistry. So if you go online and you do a search for oatmeal cookies, one of the ones that came up that was rated really well was called brown sugar oatmeal cookies. Okay. Now this recipe is great because I'm going to tell you how you can play with it in order to modify it to your own tastes and preferences. So this recipe calls for two cups packed dark brown sugar and one cup butter. Now, depending on what kind of fat you cook with, this will really impact the flavor and the texture of your cookies. So if you like a crispy cookie, you butter is a better fat to work with. But if let's say you're vegan or vegetarian or you want to play with non 
animal fats, you could use coconut oil. However, you're not going to get a crispy cookie the way you would get with butter. The other thing, if you like crispy cookies, is you should use white sugar instead of brown sugar. Now, white sugar doesn't have the same flavor. It doesn't have that same caramel flavor that brown sugar has. But you can also do half and half, mix brown sugar with white sugar. The other thing you can do to affect, te affect texture is to refrigerate your dough before you cook it. Especially if you refrigerate it overnight, you'll see a greater difference because if your cookie dough goes into the oven and it is super cold, then it will crisp up really nicely than if it was a warm dough that you put into the oven and then it just kind of melts and spreads all over the place. So here's what I want you to do. Take this recipe and play with it. Now here's some ways you can play with it. You can play with the sugar content. You could use all brown sugar. You can use half brown, half white sugar. Or you can use all white sugar. The other thing you can do is you can play with the fat content. You could use all butter. You could use half butter, half coconut oil, or you could use all coconut butter. And then the third thing you can do to play with it is you can cook some right away. You can refrigerate some and then warm them up by rolling, rolling them into balls and then cooking them. Or you could roll them into a log, refrigerate them, and then just slice them and throw them into the oven. And try out these different ways of playing with your cookies and see what you prefer. It's a lot of fun and it teaches you so much about how ingredients work together that it will definitely affect you in the future in terms of when you look at a recipe, you'll be able to say, huh, I like the idea of that recipe, but I want to play with it a little bit. I want to change the flavor or texture or whatever. So there you go. I had so much fun putting this episode together. I really think that this every other week thing is working well for me right now since you know, I'm the only person doing this. And today I got to learn how to edit audio. <laughs> Lots of fun. Not something that I was planning on getting into right away, but hey, I think the podcast will be better for it. So thanks for tuning in today. If you thought my show was fun or useful, please let me know by sending me a tip through Patreon at patreon.com slash Allegra Ramos. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Allegra Ramos. I have great thank you gifts for my supporters and look forward to when I have 500 patrons and can hire an editor to help me provide you with even more great content. And maybe I could go back to doing it every week. The other thing too, that's really helpful is to please leave a comment, especially on iTunes. It helps more than you know. And I am looking for sponsors of products that I believe in. So if you think you have a good product that would be a good fit for my show, send me an email. Hello at AllegraRamos.com. Be sure to subscribe to my podcast wherever you listen. And if you'd like to submit questions, you can email me at hello at AllegraRamos.com or download the free Anchor FM app and you can call into my show so I can play your question on the air, which is always a lot of fun. So I will see you in a couple of weeks for your next dose of modern life, healthier, easier, and more fun. We'll be talking to my friend Angela again, who had a really exciting development in her life in terms of the pursuit of her passion. And until next time, be a spark in the world. Over and out.